Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Playbridge podcast. This is your host, Ruffin. This week on the show, I'm chatting with Dolma Altan. And if you don't already know her, she's a creator on TikTok and host of the Due Diligence podcast, where she's interviewed guests including Sofia Amoroso, founder of Nasty Gal and creator of Girl Boss. Before TikTok, Dolma started her career with Google before jumping into the world of startups and venture capital. Dolma has been such an inspiration for me and my own journey into the world of content. So I was so excited to get her on the show and I hope you guys enjoy. Hi Dolma, welcome to the show. So excited to have you here. You've been a huge inspiration to me on my journey for content creation. So it's so cool to meet you finally in person and so excited to chat a little bit about you and your story. First of all, how are you doing? How's your day going and where are you joining us from? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day in Sacramento. Um, So I'm in Sacramento. It's where I grew up. I've been here for the last few months. And yeah, it's just nice and quiet here. And I can really focus. So I get into a nice little groove when I'm here away from the craziness of San Francisco, LA, New York. So I'm happy. Can't complain. Awesome. Jumping right into things. So you started your career with Google before pivoting into the startup world. I'm curious, why did you first start Um, and big tech? And then what prompted you to make the pivot into entrepreneurship? I wanted to be in Silicon Valley because I liked the idea of being where all that sort of dynamism and innovation was. Also, when I was an undergrad at Brown, a lot of my peers would go to either Wall Street or into management consulting or tech. And I didn't really want to go into consulting or uh, finance. So I decided, okay, I guess I'm going into tech. (laughs) And and so I liked that aspect of it. I think I also really wanted to start my own thing at some point. And I figured I'll just kind of throw myself into the world of tech and and eventually sort of like, you know, iterate my way over to entrepreneurship. Um, And I joined Google because I wanted to, I guess, gain some experience and build up my resume before I did something on my own because I didn't really know what I wanted to start. So I think it was kind of, you know, with the information I had at the time, I think it made sense. Um, But looking back, I think I could have just like cut to the chase a little bit more probably. I also remember that pressure, like right out of college, I went to Wake Forest and everyone like went to New York and did like finance jobs or like some big tech, but like not even really. So you really just get fed into those career paths and they don't really tell you that there are other options in college, which is so interesting. Um, so how did you like make the jump? How did you leave Google? And then you started your first business, which I believe was Potion. How did you get started on that? So I fell in love with consumer brands in 2014 when I interned at an agency called Red Amler. They do branding for a lot of startups, VC-backed startups especially, And I uh, really enjoyed that nexus of storytelling and entrepreneurship that you find in the direct consumer world. So I knew I wanted to kind of dabble in it, but I didn't know what I wanted to start. And so I really waited until I had an idea that felt like it was addressing a gap in the market. At the time in 2017, there were a few sort of retailers online and offline that were curating clean beauty brands and wellness products, but there wasn't anything really addressing 
fragrance. And I saw all these different consumer and personal care categories shifting to greater transparency and non-toxic ingredients, et cetera. Um, even though those terms might be a little iffy, you know, what does clean even mean uh, anymore? But uh, but that's the trend I saw on the, in the consumer landscape. But fragrance happened to be this last bastion where those shifts had not penetrated because of the nature of fragrance in the US, especially where the FDA kind of has a loophole where you don't need to disclose ingredients. And so I thought, oh, for consumers like me who are a little bit more health conscious and like to know what they're putting on their bodies, it's really hard to know which fragrances are the right ones that I want to be using that feel safe to me. So why don't I create a business that actually curates the best sort of like niche luxury artisan perfumes from around the world from these award-winning small perfumeries uh, that are completely botanical and just curate it all into one store and make it easier for consumers to sample, discover, and buy them. And so that was the concept. So we started with, I want to say 12 brands. Um, initially, I started reaching out to these these perfumeries and nobody was really responding to my emails. But then I reached out to this blogger, this woman who was a YouTuber and a blogger and kind of a clean beauty influencer who had uh, a following talking mainly about natural perfume. And I got her on board because she, as soon as I hopped on a call with her, basically 10, 15 minutes into the call, she wanted to work together. So she said, give me some equity. I want to join you. I want to help you build this thing. And let me just get all the right brands on board. So she was really instrumental um, in the curation and sort of onboarding of our suppliers. Um, and then we were kind of off to the races. And I ran that business for two years before realizing this is not a money-making business. This is a money-losing business. And uh, in business, ideally, you want to be making money, not losing it. What are some of your favorite clean beauty products that you had on the Potion platform? Um, there were a number of brands I really loved. So there was one, um, and I'm still kind of friends with her. I talk to her on like social media from time to time. This magical woman, um, Lori, who has this brand called Velvet and Sweet Peas Perfumery, per like P-U-R-R, -R, because she loves cats and she rescues these cats. And she has these crazy stories of how she like rescued these cats from this like lab and then named her perfume brand after these cats, Velvet and Sweet Pea. And she is just this brilliant perfumer. She's She's got an amazing nose. She's so good at what she does. And her creations are very expensive, but that's because they're made with such luxurious ingredients that are all real. And um, and I just loved not only the sense, I genuinely loved her sense and still do, uh, but also the love and dedication she puts into it. And that's something that I love about perfume. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't a big like perfume expert when I started Potion. I was just sort of like an amateur, like appreciator of perfume. I learned a lot about it, obviously. So now I know a whole lot about the industry. But what I love about that space is it's just so artistic and creative. And so I think you know, even though I went into Potion thinking, I don't want to necessarily do this for 10 years, but I want to just try starting a business that I think needs to exist. Um, I do think it was important that it be something that I was excited about instead of like, oh, you know, the market is signaling that this product is needed. So I'm going to create it even though I don't have any connection to it. To that point, what were some of your biggest like learning lessons from starting your first business? And then also would be curious just to hear a little bit more around how you ultimately decided to shut it down and move on to new things. Cause I'm sure that was not an easy decision. Yeah, for sure. So the big lessons, one margins are really important. Gross margins are super important. We just did not have the gross margins we needed because you think that 
you kind of have the margins you need. And then you realize there are so many fixed costs and variable costs that go into just starting and scaling, especially a CPG brand. And that can really compromise the viability of the business model. And so you really need to find an idea, develop a product and price it in a way where you have really robust gross margins. So that's important is just margins. Um, and then the other thing is I, I mean, I, it was really helpful to have the business partner I had, but I think we could have done more to establish from the beginning, whether we had the same vision and sort of like really do a little bit more co-founder dating to suss out what would happen in different scenarios. And so I, I think that's something that people sometimes don't really diligence because they're super optimistic. They might have like similar ideas and be complimentary to somebody. So they're really excited to just get going. And it's kind of like being in a relationship, right? Like you're, you're just excited about all the positives and you're not really thinking about how does this person handle conflict? What's going to happen if this happens or that happens? Nothing terrible happened with me and my business partner, but towards the end, it just seems like, oh, we have different ideas for how we want to do this. And we're, we have certain kind of um, misalignment. So I think diligencing that is really important. And then the other thing is it takes a lot more. It doesn't, it doesn't actually have to take that much money to start a business and just get the product and get a website up, especially these days that has become radically more affordable, but it actually costs a lot of money to get that distribution, to get the marketing going, to actually like get people to hear about what you do and get it into the hands of people. And that I, I did not foresee. So you have to put in a lot of elbow grace, try a lot of things. We were doing influencer marketing, we got some press, etc. But really that takes so much work and it takes a certain amount of capital that we didn't have because I was bootstrapping all of it and pouring my savings into it. And at some point, there were certain things that happened in my personal life, like my mom getting really sick and I had to kind of drop everything and care give for her. Um, and also that sort of like also affected my finances because I, I moved us both to LA um, temporarily. Uh, but that all sort of like is the behind the scenes stuff that people don't really talk about, but personal finances and how risk tolerant you are around sort of like sacrificing some of your personal finances to get a business going and knowing when to make that call of like, do I pull the plug now? Or do I, like, do I keep losing money and like betting on this business? That can be really difficult. There are no truly right or wrong answers, but I think it's really important to know who you are as a person and what your risk tolerance is. Definitely. To your point of dating co-founders, if you were to start a new business today, what advice would you give yourself or what strategies would you take to, you know, make sure you really find a good fit and a business partner? I think what I would tell myself based on my own experiences, and some of this is also based on seeing a lot of my friends um, have, you know, sometimes positive relationships with their co-founders and sometimes run into co-founder breakups, if you will, that were kind of catastrophic for their businesses and startups. Um, so based on all of these data points, what I would say is really make sure that you have a shared vision and are very complimentary. I was actually interviewing Rich Antonello, who's the founder and former CEO of Complex yesterday. And he was saying like, that's the, like, that's the ideal is you have a shared vision of what needs to happen, but you have very different sort of like skill sets as far as being able to make that happen and to execute. And so I think that's, um, that's important. That shared vision is really important, not just at a high level, but like, do you, do we have the same shared vision for how, what kind of like outcome we want out of this? Because let's say, you know, this didn't happen in my case, but like, let's say that a startup is doing okay. And then there's an exit offer, right? And 
And so like maybe three or four years in, some company wants to acquire you and it's not like a crazy exit, but it's like decent. One founder might say, I want to take some chips off the table. I want to be done with this. I want to take this and just move on to the next thing. And another founder might go, I actually want to see how like much we can scale this further. So I don't want to accept this offer. So even in terms of your personal ambitions and goals, are you aligned? Are you willing to like endure whatever you're doing together? Um, with the same level of commitment. So I think that's important. Um, and then I think just like how, like the risk tolerance I think is also important, uh, as far as, you know, I I've had co-founder sort of, uh, since potion, I, I started another business. There were some people I sort of like co-founder dated and ultimately decided not to co-found something with. And now I'm really glad because I can see more clearly having had more years to observe them and our differences. I can see that they are much less risk tolerant than I am. I'm much more sort of like maybe even bordering on reckless where I will just bet on myself all day long, even when things are looking kind of crazy and chaotic. And I, I don't think that's everyone. And so, you know, what stage of life are they at? How much do they value security and stability? Like how, um, how much, yeah, how much appetite for like chaos do they really have? I think it's important to gauge all those things. Definitely. Such an important part of starting a business. So thank you for sharing all those insights. So since then, you started sharing insights like these on TikTok and other social media platforms um, and have grown a huge following on those platforms. What first got you on TikTok to share those insights? So the TikTok thing was really kind of just on a whim and it was uh, like a fun little, almost like experiment to go beyond my comfort zone because at the time I was working on Makeland, which is my second business, which kind of like evolved out of my experience with Potion. Um, and Makeland was a community, a private community of nearly 2000 women who are all D2C founders. And then we had a lot of education offerings layered on top of that. And I was bootstrapping that business and running it solo, basically. So that was my business. And because we had brought in over a hundred guests to teach these workshops and do these, you know, Q and A's, um, we had this robust library of information about direct consumer in really tactical ways. Um, and then we had all these conversations happening in the community all the time. And, um, and so I was learning a lot from that and talking to the hundreds of women in our uh, community. And also I had had my experiences with potion and also I am like a voracious learner. Um, and I absorb a lot of content. And so I had consumed basically everything I could find about e-commerce and D2C out there at the time. And I couldn't find a lot of stuff, um, that, well, the reason I started make lane was a lot of what I found at the time was not tactical. And so I wanted to bring in people to make things really tactical. And then by the time I started TikTok, I was noticing I've been spending years consuming business news and business content. So much of it is so male centric, like half of it is about Elon Musk. And like the other half of it is like, you know, like Amazon, like bros on Amazon or YouTube yelling about Amazon FBA, or like, it's just a certain kind of, um, it, it almost felt uh, like it, it, it's very male centric. And also there's something like kind of transactional about it and like arbitrage about it. And I wanted to kind of break down interesting substantive case studies and really put the spotlight on female founded companies and women leaders. And so I, that was like kind of an inspiration, but really 
if I'm being really honest at the time, I was living in a house with three other female founders in LA in West Hollywood. And all three of them were somehow either creating content or involved in the creator economy in some way. One was managing YouTubers. Another was a startup founder who was finding some success, like building her personal brand on TikTok. Actually, two of them um, were doing that. And so I was looking around at them and thinking, oh, this is terrifying to me. So I'm going to do it because that's what I do. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to post every day for a hundred days in a row. And it, I started following just like trends and being like goofy and funny. And I haven't taken any of those videos down, but they're super embarrassing. But by week three, I was like, you know, I really like care about that idea of business media that focuses on women. Why don't I just create that content? And I didn't think anybody would be into it because at the time nobody was doing that on TikTok. I didn't see like any like, you know, green screen. Let's talk about like this business strategy. Now there's like more of a proliferation of it, but at the time I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to care about this. Probably TikTok is not going to like care about this at all, but I did it anyway. Cause I already, already committed to the hundred day challenge and, um, and it worked and I got a lot of traction. So I kept going. Well, so happy you started creating content because it's definitely an inspiration for me, like I said earlier, and many others. Um, I think there's something to the fact that we just need more female voices in this space, I think. And you just do such a good job of like making your content relatable, approachable, and just, you know, really easy to understand some of these topics that aren't broken down really, as you said, anywhere else on the internet. So it's awesome what you do. What was your first ever video to go viral on TikTok? <laughs> so it depends on what you mean by viral. Um, but no matter what your definition is, all the answers are embarrassing, but I'll share them anyway. So the very first one, Man, okay, this one I did archive because I was like, I feel like people are taking this the wrong way and I'm getting a lot of hate for this. So I'm gonna just archive this. But it was it was like a random video. I had I had seen either a video or a tweet or something about like um how Asian men were getting this like comeuppance. Like there was more like of a spotlighting of their um like them as like these attractive, like, you know, figures. And I I thought that was cool. So I made this semi like I thought it was funny, like video about, about it and about like how, um, like people have been sleeping on Asian men and how I've been sleeping on Asian men and it got, it like kind of went viral. I think it got like 40,000 views, which after most of my videos were getting a couple hundred, it felt huge to me, but it started to get a lot of comments either that were very thirsty or very angry from mostly Asian men. So I was like, this is, <laughs> this is not what I was intending at all. And it was funny because it was like a very, a lot of my videos before then were kind of like taking trending audios and doing something funny related to startups or entrepreneurship, kind of laughing about like, haha, it's like funny, you know, it's so difficult. It's like getting punched in the face. Ha. But this one was just like a random, you know, kind of throwaway one that just went viral, which is, it's funny how often that happens. So that was the first really viral one, but it's not related to the content I create now. So I don't talk about it a lot. The business one that was viral, there were two. One was a video about the life story of Kris Jenner. Um, so I was like, she's total hashtag girl boss. So let's talk about Kris Jenner and her like entire life. Um, that one did pretty well. But then the one that did really well was let's talk about the different businesses the Kardashians have started. Um, and I just like listed them out and that one to this day is my video with the most views. I think it has like 2.3 or 4 million and I've never made a video that surpassed that. And that was week three of TikTok. Wow. That's crazy. Kris Jenner is literally my idol. I have to admit. <laughs> and I watched um, the season three 
episode one of the Kardashians on Hulu last night. If you haven't checked it out, it is live. Um, and also, I've definitely archived some of my old videos. No shame. There's some of my old stuff is so cringe, so I get it. I try not to, but sometimes if I get a lot of like hate, either yeah. towards me or about the people I'm talking about, I'm like, I don't want this in my space. Yeah, totally fair. Um, so you recently did a workshop on TikTok for startups. Everyone should go check it out. I'll make sure to link it in the podcast details. But what would be some of your maybe key takeaways from that session? What advice would you give for other startup founders or business owners hoping to get started either on TikTok or just generally like in short form video content? Add value first instead of promoting yourself. Um, It's easier said than done. A lot of people get this wrong. Um, Companies, businesses, whenever they start on TikTok, they start immediately trying to promote themselves. They use trending audios and use those trending audios to try to like promote their products. Nobody cares about your product because they don't know about your product. You can't just lead with that. So you have to start adding value, whether it's in the form of education or storytelling about your business or about your industry, something the consumer cares about. Think about a random consumer like on their For You page. They're not going to care about what you're doing. So you have to give them a reason to care. So that's one thing is like lead with value, which is somehow it's like very cliche, but so few brands actually do it. So do that. And then the other thing is um, a lot of brands think they need to completely throw their general brand strategy, content strategy out the window and like do like all these dances on TikTok and hire some Gen Z intern and they can like make the magic happen. It doesn't have to be like that. You can actually take the regular content marketing you do in your email marketing, on your social media channels, um, like wherever else, and just adapt that and make it a little bit more entertainment forward um, and make it TikTok native. And one suggestion I have for that is make a list of the 20 or 25 most frequently asked questions about your industry or your category or your products and start just creating a series answering those questions in a way that's adding value. That's like a really easy place to start because really what you want to go get to in the beginning is you don't have to just shoot for, you know, I need to go viral. I need to have a hundred thousand followers. Really what you want to get to is what I call a minimum viable audience where you've hit a critical mass of an audience. Maybe it's just, you know, 5,000, 10,000 followers who are really engaged with you. You've hit a critical mass where your average video that doesn't go viral is still getting enough engagement that you start to have those two-way conversations with people and they ask you questions. They give you feedback. They suggest video ideas. That's what you want to get to. And then you don't have to worry about like, which, you know, do I like follow this trend? Do I talk about this thing? They're going to tell you. Any brands that you would recommend, um, people check out for inspiration, like any brands that come to mind that are like doing really cool things in terms of content marketing. Yeah. I really love Cheeky Bonsai. So everybody talks about like Duolingo and Chipotle and Ryanair. Those are good examples to follow, especially if you are more established. But the thing about those brands is they have already such name brand recognition that when they do kind of goofy or unhinged things, it becomes like a spectacle in and of itself, right? Because it's this well-known brand being so like goofy and entertaining. uh, Not every brand has that luxury. If nobody knows about your brand, what you want to do is again, lead with value, lead with education in a way that's entertainment first. And I think Cheeky Bonsai, it's this brand um, started by 
um, a woman I know and her co-founder, they are the Stanford grads who started this sort of like women's health brand that creates UTI products. They're sold in Target. Amazing brand, amazing mission. Um, I have some of their products in my kitchen right now, but, uh, but they just, um, I believe the story, I actually have to confirm this with them. I believe the story is that they partnered with a creator and then her content was performing so well and she was such a good fit that they decided to bring her in house. And now she does all of their content, but it's just, it's really entertaining. It's really, she's, she's really good sort of like on camera talent, but also they're teaching you all these things about women's health that are so valuable in this bite-sized way. And so that's a great example, I think, for brands that are kind of in a position of, well, I'm not Duolingo, like I'm not a household name, but I want to get the word out there. How do I do that? Cheeky Bonsai is a good example. Awesome. I feel like we're definitely going to see, and we are seeing more and more creators go in-house with certain companies. So it's super cool to watch. Um, so since TikTok, you've also started a podcast, Due Diligence, and you recently completed a 100-day podcasting challenge, which is so impressive. I'm amazed. That's awesome. And you've hosted guests, including Rebecca Minkoff. So why did you expand um, beyond TikTok and why specifically the podcast? I started getting requests to do a podcast pretty early into the TikTok journey. I think because I do a lot of like talking and educating anyway. So people are like, okay, why don't you just blow this out into a podcast so I can listen to you on the go. Um, and I was getting a lot of requests, but I was terrified of starting one because I was like, if I do it, I want it to be perfect and blah, blah, blah. And I was getting caught in perfectionism and I was procrastinating heavily. Um, and then I finally started it. I published one episode. It was sort of like this breakdown of Glossier, which took me so much research. Um, and then I like went quiet for months and I realized, wow, I like say I care about this thing, but I have completely neglected it. So in December, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I always do. And I'm going to create a hundred day challenge for myself. Um, my fourth hundred day challenge ever. The first one was YouTube. The second one was TikTok. The third one was like a workout challenge. And then I was like, I'll just do that for a podcast. It's probably going to be the hardest one yet, but it's going to be worth it just to kickstart things. Um, so I did that. I started it late December. Um, and I really enjoyed it because I've done a combination of solo episodes and interviews. The interviews are a great excuse for me to just learn from people I admire and want to learn from. Also, the solo episodes are a great way to, for me to sort of like share my heart and soul and what I really believe and things I've learned with my audience. I get actually, they get the same number of like listens on average, but the feedback I get on the solo episodes is probably like an order of magnitude more like intense. Like people are so grateful for them because I think they're just intimate and they're real and I'm being really raw. Um, so I really enjoy doing both. And then it's just really nice to be not constrained by TikTok because structurally and algorithmically, the way TikTok sort of incentivizes content creation is it forces you to always have to think about like, is this going to go viral? Is this entertaining enough? Is this going to stop the scroll? And sometimes you sacrifice a little bit of substance and depth when you do that. Um, and so I don't love that treadmill of that being the only type of content I create. I think it's great as a top of funnel, as an awareness sort of platform, but I really want to funnel people over to where I can share the full depth of my thoughts and feelings with people and provide a lot of value without being constrained by the algorithm on TikTok. Solo episodes seem very intimidating and I'm sure so much research goes into those. So I appreciate you working on them. Um, what has been either your favorite solo episode or your favorite interview so far? Oh, that's a good question. 
I feel like I can't pick an interview because a lot of them have been great. And also I feel like that I don't want to piss anyone off. So I'm not going to say, um, but I honestly don't have, like, there's not one name that comes to mind. There are a few where I was like, wow, that was really great. That was better than I expected. Um, but, uh, but as far as solo episodes, I don't know. I don't know that there's, again, I don't know that there's like one that really stands out, but I think in general, the solo episodes are where I share sort of, um, like what I really believe about how to, let's say like find your passion, quote unquote, or how to make that work or how to like bet on yourself, how to trust your desires, like all these things that, and how to like live a more authentic life, like things that I think, um, I've had to navigate and spent most of my twenties trying to figure out. And now I feel like I have more frameworks and mental models on how to do that. And so it feels worthwhile for me to share. So I generally just like anything where I can kind of take things that were like hard won bits of insight for me, from my personal life and pass them along to people. And, and I think a lot of people, like, especially in this day and age, a lot of, especially young women who tend to be the people who follow me and listen to my podcast, they like a lot of people feel kind of lost and stuck or, you know, they're like, I kind of want to do this, but I'm not sure what that looks like. Or I feel like I'm meant for something great, but I just don't know like what to do and how to get there. And I can relate to that so much. And I think a lot of people can, it's just, there are very few frameworks out there for how to break that down into step-by-step like paths to like really gain more clarity. So anything that I share around that, which is most of the solo episodes, I feel really good about. And I get a lot of good feedback on. Definitely. I think all we can do is try and learn from other people like you who are sharing their stories. So super impactful. So you've grown obviously this massive platform and audience. Um, Do you have a long-term vision or long-term goal for all of this? I would just love to be sort of like, um, like a really trusted, credible female voice in business and like talking about business news, business uh, insights, education, talking to luminaries and leaders in the world of business and tech and eventually in finance and in whatever industry. And I would love for all the content I create to be a vehicle to break business concepts down and make them more accessible for people. Because the thing I always come back to is we live in a capitalist society and you know, every, you know people have their critiques about capitalism, but love it or hate it, you have to understand how this these structures work if you're going to navigate them successfully. And that's what I really want to um, provide people, especially young women who are ambitious, who are driven, who want to do great things and make worthwhile things. I want them to feel like they are equipped with the knowledge and the concepts they need to really understand what's going on and how to be somewhat fluent in capitalism and in business. And, and I think that's um, an empowering feeling and that's not accessible to everyone. I had to learn all this stuff on my own. I, I don't come from, you know, like I don't come from privilege. Like I, I really had to like claw my way to wherever I am now, but now I want to make a lot of this stuff a lot more accessible and fun and engaging and not dry and boring. So that's my goal. So incredible. Well, you're already very much a leader in this space. So excited to see where you take all of this. It's super cool. Um, any like exciting trends that you're following in the startup space that we should all, you know, keep our eyes on or anything you're super excited about right now? Good question. Mm, I mean, this is like a very cliche answer, but I am excited about AI. I am less 
savvy about how to directly apply AI to my daily life and my workflows now. Although I'm sure like with one intensive weekend of study, I could pick it up pretty quickly. By the way, I would recommend Rachel Woods um, for that kind of content. She's on TikTok. Um, she has a newsletter. I've interviewed her. Um, she gives a lot of great advice around that. Um, but AI is just transformative because I think, I mean, it's anyone's guess what the ultimate sort of implications and repercussions of AI taking over society will be. Um, I think there are things to be excited about. I think there are things to be a little more concerned about. But one of the best possible outcomes that I really hope will take place is it will just free up a lot of people to focus on work that brings them joy and that feels really worthwhile that machines can't do, that technology can't do. Um, and what I am excited about more than anything is people actualizing their potential and feeling like they are excited and motivated and driven and like, you know, jazzed every day to wake up and do something that feels like it is an expression of their talents and their gifts. Um, that's what I care about. And I'm excited about any potential there is for AI to hopefully get us closer to a society like that. I listened to your episode with Rachel Woods. Great episode. Um, everyone go check that one out and have now since started watching some of her content on TikTok as well. Yeah. Can you share a female founder, investor, or leader who inspires you and a little bit about why? Um, she's kind of top of mind for me because I was texting her um, this morning and also I saw one of her Twitter threads, but um, her name is Juru. She's the founder of Hero Cosmetics. Hero Cosmetics sold for, I want to say 630 or 50 million last year. Um, and she is just such a powerhouse. And I love there are, there are a lot of things I admire about her path. Not only did she raise, I believe, one round of financing, like one round of capital, and then scale to this incredible outcome, especially in a time when it's not easy to do that, but she started the company in 2017. So she did it in kind of like a record sort of like time frame. Um, in addition to all of that, though, what I love about her is, first of all, she's very humble. She's so willing to share her insights. She's very insightful. And she is... Um, she kind of just like does not opt into the, the sort of hype around, like, I think there, I think in, in the world of business, um, what often there can be a lot of hype and a lot of noise and a lot of chest thumping. And, uh, and I think Jew is kind of the opposite of that. She's so humble. She's so, um, helpful and, um, and what she's done is so admirable, but she really takes all of the success that she's had and she's constantly trying to sort of like pass the learnings along to people. And I really admire that about her. Amazing. Finally, where can people find you? Where can people find your podcast, your TikTok, anything you want to plug and share? I am at I am Dolma, D-U-L-M-A on all the things. Um, my personal website is dolma.co. That might be an easier way to just find all the links. My podcast is called Due Diligence and it's on Spotify and Apple. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dolma. This was so cool to meet you and just really appreciate your time and all of your insights. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Play Bridge podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And for more updates, make sure to follow us on social at Bridge Club. That's at B-R-Y-D-G-E-C-L-U-B. At Bridge Club on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube.